everyone, welcome back to My First Dungeon, the tabletop role-playing podcast where we put first-time DMs through their paces as we build and run their very first one-shot and then circle back around to discuss what went right, what went wrong, and how they can make their game even better. So many D&D players want to take their turn behind the DM screen but are thwarted by the same nagging questions. What if I'm no good? What if my adventure isn't fun? What if I forget the rules? What if, what if, what if? On this show, we seek to answer those questions, dispel those doubts, and provide a roadmap to help anyone run their very first game. And the best way to understand the process of learning is to take a peek behind that curtain and see what a first-time DM really looks like, warts and all. This is the final part of this three-part series where we're going to take a look back at Abby's very first game as a DM and break down some of the highlights, areas where she thinks she can improve, and also check back on some of the questions we had during episode one and see how things changed, sometimes in pretty large ways, from preparation to actual play. Abby, welcome back. How you, how you feeling? Um, okay. <laughs> Got a whole mixed bag of things going on in here. We, we finished playing our session maybe like 30 minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, we'd planned to record this later, but we both wanted to just like talk it through because you were like really excited to like learn what what you can improve on and like talk about things you think you did well, things you think you didn't do well on. Overall, overall feeling, how, how do you think you did? It's funny because I feel like realistically overall, I had a ton of fun and it seems like everybody else had a lot of fun. And uh, so I'm really happy about that. And I feel like there were, you know, 90% of the things went well. It is hard for me to let go of the 10% of things that I feel like could have been better or that did not necessarily go according to plan, mm-hmm. uh, which is why I've got that sort of dichotomy in me of like, I know it was fun and it went well, but there is a little piece of me that is like disappointed or bothered by the things that I can prove on. Okay, fair enough. Before we start, why don't you give us a quick recap as a DM of the session that we just played? Yeah. So we opened on Sand Hollow where we met uh, our gang of, of wannabe bandits, the deplorable four, uh, hanging out in uh, Doc's saloon, the high and dry saloon, uh, where they were trying to brainstorm ways to make a uh, better name for themselves, uh, develop their reputation, all that sort of stuff. <laughs> I tried Really hard to get everybody to get some hot gossip. Uh, Everybody wanted to play around a little bit more. And uh, so we had some fun in the saloon before learning that there was a loot to be had uh, one town over. And furthermore, that the gang's uh, rival or at least a fellow bandit who they loathe, uh, Jolene, was going to also be heading in search of this loot. Uh, So they ran to go make the train, got on. Did a little exploring, um, met a couple of interesting characters on the train before having an interaction with the woman herself, with Jolene and her uh, cast of, of croonies. She then left them to go fight, or she left uh, leaving her, her group to fight with you guys. Uh, so you had an altercation in the bar car on the train which you came out victorious uh, only to find that Jolene was nowhere to be found after this because (laughs) Gord had already thrown the train conductor uh, straight off the train. Um, And so there was no one to check tickets or bother to check who was going to be in what class. Uh, You guys spent the night in first class hanging out with Carmela. 
Lady Cece. Yeah, Lady Cece, Carmela Crispino and her manservant, Samuel, kind of learning a little bit more about this loot, who got it, what what, uh, to expect when you get there, that sort of thing. You guys then spend the night recovering, relaxing in first class, drinking some expensive champagne you stole from Carmela. And then you guys woke up and you had arrived in Sneak Scourge, a town almost identical to the one that you started in, <laughs> except that it was like slightly bigger. And there were more people here and a little bit more going on. And you set out to try to search for clues of where the loot might be, where uh, Marsden, who is the guy who obtained the loot, might be. And uh, perhaps most importantly, where Jolene might be. You guys, yeah, went over, explored, got a couple things from Marsden's room. And and we ended the session with you guys discovering a uh, locked box in the jail behind the sheriff's office that contains the loot at hand. And Jolene, as you have locate object uh, activated, is swiftly approaching to try to obtain this loot for herself. And that is where we ended. A lot in a session. First off, I want to say I don't get to play as a player very often, so mm-hmm. it's always a treat when I get to play as a player. This was very honestly one of my favorite sessions I've ever gotten to play as a player, oh, which was so much fun. I mean, it's really exciting to like play with someone who uh, has never played before and to see them do so well right out of the gate mm-hmm. is really fun and exciting to see. And like, at, like very quickly, I was like, oh, I don't need to worry about it. Like, I can just have fun playing, which was great. Because mm-hmm. uh, I I never get to play, so I'm always I'm always <laughs> you know I think a part of the the reason for this podcast is just reasons for me to get excuses to play excuses for you yeah, to actually get to play characters yeah for sure. Before we get into improvements or things you didn't like, yeah, give me top three things. I want I want to start with all the things that you think you did best. Mm-hmm. So what were like the top three things that you were either most confident about coming out of it uh, or think you did best during the session? Uh, the things I. Th- think that I did best are, are things that I think in our first recording, I predicted that I would feel comfortable and (laughs) good at doing the things that I feel like I did best were creating NPCs and like creating this world and making it feel sort of vivid and real. Yeah. Um, and feel like I just have so much fun playing all these little weirdos. And, and so because it's the thing that I think I'm best at that I enjoy doing the most, I think it's the thing that shown the brightest uh, and and uh, was the most successful there. And I think your your array of NPCs not only were like, did you do very fun like accents and voices for all of them? Mm-hmm. They were very different mm-hmm. because sometimes like I, even I fall into this trap where some of your NPCs start to feel a little similar. They they may have wildly different accents, but they're kind of under the same motivation your characters were very different and distinct in a way that I can't remember a time in the session. And I, I'm struggling to think of one now where anyone has to ask clarify about like, who's talking, who is this? Oh yeah. I see what you mean. And, and like, don't get me wrong, like having a, like a good vocal range to do like different accents and like, you know, mannerisms for a character helps. But even if you have that great accent work, if your characters aren't distinct enough, people will get confused and that never happened. I think the only time I can vaguely think of that happening is with the two bandit minions, but they were kind of the same. Like they didn't have personalities. They were just minions. And they died so quickly that it kind of didn't matter. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so I don't even want to like ding you on that because because no, at no point was anyone ever confused in that. And I think that's a real credit to you because one of the things that can be most difficult, especially when you're playing in 
you know, an RPG that's like theater of the mind. If your characters can't put themselves in the space and like imagine the person that they're talking to, it becomes difficult to interact and to like immerse. I always had a very clear sense of who I was talking to and what the space looked like. Mm -hmm. That may have been like, I I don't think you were doing the like Matt Mercer, you know, crazy explanations of things. Right, right. But you didn't need to. Like you gave us all enough. We all understood the layout of the space and how it worked and how we worked within it. And we understood who the person we were talking to was. So that was great. I mean, it, it was extremely well done. Thank um, you. What are uh, two other things you think you did particularly well? I don't know if this falls under the same sort of thing, but I'm incredibly proud of uh, the villain or rival of Jolene. Yes. Of I just it was the thing that we had talked a lot about of like you're having this rival and it should be a person who it's like they're annoying or or like there needs to be an immediate understanding of kind of who they are and why you hate them. Because this is a thing that I hadn't actually talked through with you guys beforehand. Like mm-hmm. I was introducing a backstory to you guys. And if, if, unless I do it crazy, like explicitly and say like, this is your rival, this is your history, which is like fine, but it's not the most fun way to do it. Right. I need you guys to get on board immediately. And when I was like, Oh my God, what, what if we make it Dolly Parton's Jolene? It's a song everybody knows. You immediately get on board. She's physically described in it, which is super helpful. Right. But that, yeah, I was proud of the fact that she was like a fun villain to come up with. And then I was particularly excited that when I did introduce her, what I had hoped would happen and it did happen, which is that everybody immediately understood why they hated her. Yep. Like that they hated her, why they hated her. And also that they were like, oh yeah, no, we're on board with the fact that like she sucks. And, and they got a fun reveal of this joke mm-hmm. too, which yeah. was very fun. I thought Jolene was great. You were, you were telling me about it before the session. You were kind of asking me for help building a character and you didn't want to reveal the Jolene bit to me. Yeah. <laughs> so you kept explaining like, well, I want her to be, you know. You I know, wasn't even revealing pers- that I wanted her to be a woman. I just kept saying like, want them to do this and other stuff. And I could just see on your face that you were like, what the kind of character are you trying to right, you, you kept describing like multiple different things. And I guess this will be a slight spoiler for, and for those of you who are curious, we did end the session on a cliffhanger. We will finish the session at a later date. We'll post it on the channel. So you will get to hear how this adventure ends. Slight spoiler for that future adventure regarding Jolene. I, so when she was explaining Jolene to me, I didn't understand because I, I didn't have this concept of this joke which is also like a great place to start with any D and D character. Like if you have a bit or if you know like what their thing is, mm-hmm. then you can build out from that. And it becomes very obvious once you finally just told me, well, okay, she's Jolene. I was like, Oh, and she's like seducing men and they're like coming to your aid. Oh, she's a harpy. Yeah. And then we found like, you know, then it all falls into place where you have the stat block and you, and now you know how she operates on a mechanical level as well as like a character emotional level. Right. Like we were trying um, to figure out what sort of monster or beast or creature she could be for kind of a final battle or, or this interaction with her. And I was looking through at all these sorts of different things and, and you were trying to help me pick and choose based on the things that I wanted. And we were considering for a moment, kind of building out like an actual character sheet for her uh, with stuff. And then it, it is a thing where it's like, because you're a player, I don't want to tell you too much, but also right. you're here to help me do this. And I was really glad that finally I was like, oh my God, it's just, it's Jolene. And you left and we're like, I now fully understand <laughs> who this character is, what she's doing. 
she's a harpy, uh, 100%. Yeah. And it was like the second that we figured that out, it was great. And, and again, just felt like it was a thing that felt natural and easily understandable and accessible. Yeah. And I was really glad that like in the game, they do not know yet that she is a harpy from right. where we ended, but they immediately understood her as a villain. And I feel like even when that reveal comes around, it will once again be a surprise, but not that surprising. And, and this, this is a dumb thing to bring up, but <laughs> there is something very nice about pick, like making a memorable villain, like having an, a bit as a name, like Jolene, because they're immediately memorable. At no time did anyone ever say, what's the name of the villain again? Because <laughs> right. like that, when you come up with the name, you know, Jackster Portagon of the third of the guy, then people are like, oh, what's his name again? And you always get the players who are like, oh, his name's Jackster. Well, I'm going to call him Jack and Daxter. And then like that becomes the bit. The second you have this like memorable name of Jolene, it's like, oh, I'll never forget Jolene because mm-hmm. there's already something built in. But you did do a great job of at the beginning because we hadn't talked about it before, like you said, mm-hmm. like we didn't really describe this character that much of telling us who she is and why we would hate her. And pretty much immediately everyone was on board because we were all like, yeah. oh, but and we kind of all jumped <laughs> on about different reasons we hated her. Yeah. And then when when we meet her and we like fall flat on our face in front of her in multiple different ways, it just kind of serves to heighten that, which may, which will make this you know final battle uh, when we get to play it a little bit more rewarding for the characters because then like every time they hit they're like ah it serves you right for doubting us we're the you know we're the despicable four right we're the deplorable four even we can never remember what (laughs) i know now we can remember it's it's sad Uh, Um, and then a third thing could also be like a specific moment it doesn't have to be like something broad I am glad that I gave everybody the opportunity to, and I think I did a decent job of managing this of like, like Lauren's character kept wanting to peel off and Mm -hmm. do her own thing, which I feel like can be difficult. And was a thing that like, I hadn't really even considered as a first time DM of like, what Mm -hmm. if the group splits up? And luckily it's, it was especially on the train an instance of like, you're on a train. There's really only so many places she can be. She like, can't get that far, you know, or do that many crazy things. But I was glad that I was able to sort of adjust and move and feel like I did a decent job of flipping between people and saying like, okay, right now we're focusing on Lauren and her character and Saris and and what she's up to. Did some fun stuff there, then come back over here. And at some point you guys were in three different groups and I was like, oh my God, they're going to split up into four different groups. How am I supposed to keep track of this? But again, feel like it, it was a thing that, uh, it was a test, but I had some fun with it of, of bouncing back and forth of like, all right, Gord is going over here. You guys purposefully are hanging back, but like, we'll get back to that. And then like checking in here and there and doing all that stuff. Um, so it was a thing right. that was it. like, I forgot that people don't have to stick together, even if you're like in a small space. And this is a thing that listening or like even playing in it, it it's a thing that that's, uh, the movie Star Wars does very well. That is flipping back and forth between two things. The idea of meanwhile, back at the ranch. Yeah. Like by the time you get to the end of a scene, like the height of a scene, you know, Saris has just discovered this thing and is looking through. Then you can flip back over and see someone else's scene playing out. And it's kind of implied that she is now going down the stairs or whatever. Right. So it is a fun way to like move things along and kind of more activate that active energy. Mm-hmm. But it can be a lot to like process, you know, trying to remember where three people are in different locations and how they might be interacting. And I think you did very well in those, those uh, instances. Mm-hmm. It was a funny thing. Cause I feel like multiple times I was like, okay, 
Sarah's just doing her own thing. And then she would reach a point where she had to do like an ability check. I'd be like, okay, you roll that. And then in my head was like, as she rolls, let's check over to with so-and-so. But then I would get like a little bit caught up with Gord doing sort of mm-hmm. thing. And then I feel like it'd be like a full five minutes and I'd be like, P.S. Saris, what was that ability score? <laughs> and like, right. Some of that can be tough. It was, I feel like in this particular instance, I did a fine enough job of moving over and then going back before a player or perhaps the listener can really forget what's going on with the other ones. Uh, but it was a thing that I kept mentally being like, you just asked for her for an ability check and then abandoned her, like go back to her. <laughs> right. And I feel like in this instance it worked out, but it was a thing that I was aware of, of like, Abby, stop getting into this habit or you're going to ask someone to do something. And then 40 minutes later, they'll be like, so remember how I did that investigation check and then you never came back to me. And I'd be like, all right, I forget what you were investigating. Right. <laughs> so yeah, it was a, it was a thing that I think I did pretty okay at. Awesome. I, I think we both actually agree on the things that you did really well. The like adaptability, the variety of circumstances. Honestly, like a lot happened in that session. We started in a town, did a train thing, got to another town and did stuff all along the way. I, I was very happy at the very beginning of the session when <laughs> you had Glasgow, the most interesting character in the room, clearly the plot hook or like the, the best way to get the plot hook right. comes over. It's like, Hey guys, I got some information for you. And everyone said, <laughs> no, what about that sleeping guy over there? I think there's no better summation of what it is like to be a DM and like, the the bane of a DM's existence than what you experienced. And oh, 100%. I'm very, I'm very glad it came up right away. Immediately. And I had to laugh in my head because when I was developing that opening scene with the bar, I had in my head, I was like, okay, there's two pieces of information you guys want to get, that there's a loot to be had and like where it is in this detail. Right. And also that Jolene is going for it. Right. And I set out where I was like, okay, we're going to have Glasgow be one of those potential sources of information. And we're going to have these two women be Dolly and Reba <laughs> be a potential source of information. And like, if you guys had divided and conquered, you would have gotten the, each piece from a different group or like, you know, whatever. And then I was like, well, but just like to build the world a little more, why don't I just put like a guy in the corner who's like sleeping? He's a regular, you know, he's, he's fucking passed out. He's literally not even awake. And uh, when I was doing that, because I feel like we've shared enough uh, memes about DMs and stuff yeah. that I was like, they're 100% going to go over and talk to him. But I was like, he's got no money in his pockets. He's straight up asleep. Even if they manage to wake him up, he's not going to have anything interesting to say or no information. And so I was like, even if they go over there, it'll take two seconds. They'll come back and be like, nah, this is a dead end. And then we spent so much time. <laughs> Literally, it was, I felt like what I felt like happened was Glasgow, who I, I gave the fun added bonus of he's covered in soot, which is just an interesting starting point. That was very fun. I did like that addition. Uh, as a funny thing. And then he straight up immediately says, basically, I have information about money, like how you can find money and have a better reputation and get everything you've ever hoped for. He basically said, hi, my name is MacGuffin. <laughs> yes, he did. And then what everyone's response was, was to say, that's cool. We don't give a shit. We're going to go look at that man sleeping in the corner. So after having uh, experienced <laughs> this, this uh, true uh, rite of passage, yeah, I think yeah. for a DM, would you, if you would do the session again, or if you run the next session, would you have done anything differently? To be honest, no. 
it is a thing. And I know we're going to touch on it in a bit of like, if I were specifically planning a one shot again, probably mm-hmm. I think I would be, I would be much more likely to pare down on anything that could be considered like a distraction. And I think that it's good to still give players options. Like you don't want it to be, there's literally only one person in the bar. And so you have to talk to that or like whatever. But I think if we were doing like an ongoing campaign, it was funny for me. And you guys had a blast interacting with him, even though he gave you literally nothing. Yeah. And, and, and the, the rocks kind of became like a little through line. Yeah. I was surprised about that. I was surprised that you guys held on to those rocks, which was funny. Which I think, honestly, if I was running the session, I think what I probably would have ended up doing to my detriment is just have filled his pocket with something vaguely plot hooky. Oh, and like, okay. it, like, like Just if they came over to him, I'd be like, oh, you reach in the pocket, you steal the thing. And it turns out there's a, you know, a ring from John Marsden or Marsden Greed. Uh, from Mars or, or something that is essentially like plot hook adjacent. Yeah. But we would have lost out on that fun bit right. of the rock. So I think I, when, when it was happening in my head, like my DM brain was kind of clicking still because uh, I hadn't like fully gotten into player mode yet. Right. And I was kind of like, Oh, is this, should she have like given something here, like rewarded the check? And honestly, I liked that the reward was <laughs> exactly what you expect, which is nothing because then we get to play with it. Then it's like a yeah. fun thing to play with. I did when Gord went over and was like, I'm going to check his pockets for a brief moment. I tried to think about an object or something that could be in his pockets that was related somehow to like, should it be a key? Should it be, you know, can it be something that is related? Mm -hmm. And I think realistically it was like, I couldn't come up with something that I felt was good enough, like on the fly and was like, I think it'll just be really funny for them if they like go rifling through his pockets and they're excited and they literally find an IOU. We also really didn't come back to the idea of this guy was carrying around rocks in his coin sack. Like we really didn't, <laughs> we didn't explore that at all. No, no, you didn't. And I yeah, uh, have a whole there. idea in my head of why he is and like what this is, but no, they are not it. actually, they're not magical. You guys didn't really investigate them any further other than to like, no, uh, see if they were money. Uh, they're not, they're not magical objects. They have no value whatsoever. They are straight up rocks from the ground. Rocks from the ground. But it was, yeah, it was a thing that like, again, if I was doing a one shot, I think I would pare down some of the distractions, but this was very fun. And I think while you guys did have a lot of room to play with him, it was apparent that this was a dead end and you Mm -hmm. guys were just having fun in the dead end, but you did know it was one. Right. At the top, you said there was a lot of things that you really liked. You also said there were some like disappointments that you felt. Mm -hmm. What areas do you think were the most that you were most disappointed in, in how you played or, or things that need the most improvement? I think there's two big things uh, that I was disappointed in. One that I'm trying to be a little bit easier on myself about and say like, eh, you know, it's a thing was uh, we didn't get anywhere close to <laughs> sort of the ending. I packed a lot in there. I didn't realize yeah. how long it was going to take to get from point A to point B to point C and feel like while it's really good to kind of have a lot planned and overprepare, especially if you're doing like a campaign for a one shot, I think I, I wish that either I had been better at planning a, a shorter or like something that was less involved or being able to sort of adjust on the fly and do it. 
Mm-hmm. But that is also a thing that, that, uh, as I said, I'm trying to be kind of easy on myself, but the thing that I'm super frustrated about is the battle. I really hated how that went or hated is a strong word. I'm, I'm quite unhappy with how that went, but it also is the first time I've ever done that. Yeah. And it is the thing I was most nervous about. Yeah. And I think that quite a lot of my frustration with it would have been helped or it would have been better if I had put more prep time into it. I will say having been around you while you were prepping, I know you did a lot of prep for what would be the final battle with Jolene. And I find I also end up falling into this trap sometimes where I'll prep a lot for like the, the big battle, the thing that's going to take more work and then fall down a little bit on the, the like minions and stuff that, that being said, I don't think the, I think, the, the length thing is just something you learn with experience. I don't yeah. think that's, you know, to be overprepared and have too much, I would never say is a negative. The only negative is that we didn't fit it in the time we hoped to. Mm-hmm. So we just have to play again, which, you know, to some people, hey, oh, no, we you guys really got invested in this world. You were playing these characters. Oh, we played four hours today, but we didn't get to finish. <laughs> I guess we'll have to do it again. Oh, no. Right. It's a thing of like, I I wish I'd better anticipated how much people would want to play. And also Mm -hmm. things where I was like, well, this is the obvious choice. And it's like, you guys did 10 things that were, I had not considered before you got to what I thought was the obvious choice. And I wish I'd kind of considered that. Cause like, I know that as a player, of course, we always do the thing that you're like, there's no way they'll do this. And it's like, yeah, we're going to do that for sure. We're going to do that. And everyone said they were like, oh, yeah, we want to come back. We're invested in this now. Like we want to finish this, this story, which is really right. wonderful thing to hear. And so, yeah, like I said, it's, it's frustrating that I feel like it, it could have, I wish it had gone a little smoother, but also like, you know, it is what it is. With the, the battle, what, what was it that you felt didn't go smoothly? Like, was it, was it mechanics? Was it the like battle speed? Like what, what did you feel didn't go as you had hoped? I think I felt jerky and unprepared in the mechanics of the battle mm-hmm. in trying to keep on top of what attacks would these like cronies do? What about this coyote? I forgot to introduce the coyote that <laughs> just like appeared out of nowhere, which like it was fine, but also it was kind of like, yeah, there's also just a coyote there. And it's like, when did he get there? <laughs> yeah, it was very funny. Just like, oh, there's a coyote. I'm like, what? Damn, this is one sneaky coyote. <laughs> um, yeah, I like wish that I'd come up with a funnier way to introduce him or that I'd just remembered to introduce him in the beginning. But that's kind of like neither here nor there. Yeah, it's something you hand wave, right? It's just like, yeah. oh, he has a coyote there. That, that like, fits yeah, there's the also world. a coyote sleeping in the corner. It's like, sure, why not? But yeah, so it was, it was the mechanics of the battle. And then I am so mad at myself because we had literally talked about this of like building an encounter and looking at the difficulty and like level of it. Mm-hmm. And you had given me like explicit advice about the level of how hard it should be. And I made this battle far too easy, mm-hmm. which became apparent almost immediately. But I was really nervous about keeping the pace going and sure. also about keeping on top of the mechanics that I didn't have the foresight to be like, you can just have three more guys like come out of the other car, you know, and then I could balance and adjust. And it's like, yeah, he's down, but two more came in. So I, I, and like I said, I think a lot of this stuff would have been better if I had put more prep time into it of like better building the battle just like off the get go in terms of how many 
opponents you guys have and, and who they are and also understanding their attacks. Like these were all pretty simple guys. So it was fine of like me reading through and being like, wait, what would they do again? And it's like, they have one attack. That's what they would do. Right. Uh, so that was fine. But yeah, I just kind of wish that I was better prepared and that I also had crafted an encounter that was not so easy. My thought was like, oh, you guys will go through this. And it like, it's not meant to kill you or injure you really all that much. I don't think anyone even took damage. I think one person did. Someone took like four or five points of damage. I think Lauren might have and like knock them. Yeah. Somebody took like three points of damage. <laughs> oh no. Gord uh, took three points because his seven got halved to like three because he was raging. Yes. Uh, and, and you did do a pretty good job of reminding people of some of their abilities because everyone was playing I think with the exception of me, everyone was playing a, a class that they had never played before. Mm-hmm. And also they were playing some like complicated races and we were playing, you know, Minotaur and Centaur and Tiefling mm-hmm. who all have like special weird bonus skills. So like reminding Kevin about like rage stuff, working with Lauren to let her like get sneak attack and stuff. I thought was all like very well done. It wasn't, was never like invasive. It was never like, Hey, let me tell you how to play your character. It was like, Hey, remember this really cool thing your character can do? Do you mm-hmm. want to do that cool thing? And each time like Kevin was like, yeah, I do want to read. Like that <laughs> is exactly what I want to do. Right. Well, it did make me laugh in that first round where I was like, that's the whole point of a barbarian. Are you rage? So when he didn't do it as a bonus action, I was like, girl, what are you doing? Like <laughs> got a rage. But yeah, so it's like it, it went fine as a player. What did you think? of the pace of the battle in terms of um, saying, okay, now it's your turn. Now it's your turn. Now it's your turn. Not like the pace in terms of we killed them all in three seconds. <laughs> I, I think I'm, I'm a tough person to ask only because I'm so used to DM brain where I'm talking all the time. Right. And so as a player, you know, you find yourself just because of how turns work, like everyone gets a turn and it takes a couple mm-hmm. minutes to negotiate each of those turns. You do find yourself sitting. But that being said, I, was still very invested in what was happening. Mm -hmm. So it didn't feel, it didn't feel like it was dragging. I wasn't like really tapping my foot being like, when the hell's my next turn? When the hell's my next turn? When the hell's my next turn? There's like enough time to sit and experience what's happening and think about your next turn without you. Yes. Being like either you come around super quickly or you're sitting there being like, can I like go now? And and there was some good, uh, and this is the thing I try to be better at some good interaction from the villains. Like when they attacked, they were like really the only thing that we could learn about these guys was they love Jolene. It's like this kind of, you know, Mm -hmm. Jolene hypnosis type thing. And we get that. Like every time they attack or every time we try to convince them not to attack, it's just like, no, for the love of Jolene. (laughs) Right. Right. Which is good. Cause then it like keeps cementing us into like who they are, what these characters are. Cause they could very easily just become a, a rectangular humanoid shaped block that we hit until it crumbles into pieces. Right. But luckily they like, I don't, I say luckily, uh, you like skillfully kept reminding us of who they were and what they were about, which kept those outlines very clear so that when we were attacking, we were attacking a person and not just a block of space that has hit points. Well, it's funny you say that because I feel like I didn't necessarily prep that much of a like, personality for them. And now I'm realizing how important that is of like, yes, Jolene is a villain. Yeah. has a lot of backstory. You really understand her, whatever, but like her cronies, Part of the reason I think that that coyote was last, partly because I think it is just naturally harder for people to uh, want to attack an animal that they recognize as like a realistic animal, which is why I was reluctant to put one in. But then I like, I don't know, I just did. But it's part of the reason I think that he was last was because you didn't necessarily have a connection to him. Yeah. You guys were attacking the other guys because you understood who they were. Talking about areas of improvement, I think 
the there is one area of the battle that I do think could have been done better, and that mm-hmm. was when Chevelle, Naka's character, mm-hmm. started speaking with the coyote. He started speaking with the coyote, trying to like convince him to, you know, attack his comrades like Jordan side. And he the the, the coyote always responded, like, no, for the love of Jolene, these are my friends, your food. Mm-hmm. Naka as a player was like using like his turn, like the, his intention was to try to mm-hmm. get, get this thing to turn. Even if it was never going to happen, I would have made him roll for it, like make an animal handling check. Ah, uh, okay. See. Because I could even like in my head set the DC at, okay, you got to roll an at 20. Right. But by allowing him to roll, it feels like it's in his hands. Whereas if it's just a no just saying no. Yeah. I mean, and, and really like in your head, the answer could always be no, but at least by, Feeling that role, they there's a feeling of control. I think. Okay, definitely. Especially when that was like, he took part of his turn to do that. Right. Yeah. Um, because it's always a bummer when you take part of your turn to do something and then it, like, it's when like a the, non-starter. Yeah. And, yeah. And like, especially at these these lower levels, you only get to do so many things on a turn. Mm-hmm. So you want each of those things to like have an impact. And so like when you miss a weapon attack, especially at like low levels, it feels shitty because that's your whole fucking turn. Like right, you don't get to do yeah. anything else. Overall, though, yeah, the battle mechanics is really, you know, there's no better way than just to keep doing it. It's just a thing that learns with time. I was actually glad and like kind of realized it the second we were playing. I was glad that it was set up in a train. And now uh, when we do sort of the final battle, I will have a much better way of doing this where I was like, fuck, like how how long is a is a train car? And like had no concept, like basically no characters took movement. Um, which we all kind of, I think as a group accepted or forgot about or whatever, but it's like, I should have had the train car be 40 or 50 feet long. And it's like, you have to travel to hit them. You can back up, you could get out of stuff. And I just like, did not build a a space space for people to do that. Yes. And I feel like it being a train car, everyone just kind of automatically accepted that this was like close quarters, but it's yeah. like, but we weren't in a 10 foot box. Yeah, the you thing had with, room. It's just that I forgot. And also everybody else kind of did do it. The thing with the train car is it's very much like, like a fencing match where it's just, mm-hmm. you're kind of only moving in one direction forward and backwards. There's not a lot of three dimensional movement or two dimensional movement for better or for worse, but I don't think it necessarily detracted from the battle. I think there is an aspect of, there are things that could have been added. Like if there were seats in the way that we could, you know, if you want to get to this guy, he's hiding behind these seats and you got to jump over them. Like there could have been some more like little obstacles that could have heightened, but I don't think the one dimensional aspect there diminished. I think it just set set a bar that could have been raised. Yeah. It is also the kind of thing of like, there are a bunch of different ways in which like I could have built out the terrain. Like there was a destroyed bar and a pile of tables and chairs on one side of the car. Like that could have Mm -hmm. been fun to dodge behind, to climb over to do all this other stuff. Um, you have like bottles of liquor on the other side. It's like, maybe grab a glass bottle, you know, like whatever mm-hmm. to build that space out. I, I also could have had more villains, had villains popping out like of the, the train car. Uh, as soon as I realized you guys were going to kill them in like five seconds. Right. And like do all this stuff. But in terms of a first battle, especially one where it was like being recorded and I wanted to keep the performative aspect up. Mm-hmm. I am in some ways, fine with the fact that it was really pared down and there were a lot of things that I didn't do or forgot about or, or wasn't thinking about because now I feel like I have slightly ever so slightly more experience in 
running through the mechanics of a, of some of the mechanics of a fight. Right. And it's like, okay. And then next time when you guys actually fight like Jolene and stuff, or, you know, next campaign or next time I do this, that it's like running through that checklist. And now I feel slightly more confident about the first three things on the checklist. And like, there's still six more things on the bottom, but you get there. And like you said, it's really practice is the only way to do this. Unfortunately yet the, you know, the simplest answer is often the best. And the answer here is time and repetition. Yeah. There are ways you can advance that quicker. You know, you and I watch, you know, a lot of D and D things and you kind of like learn through osmosis in that way. Like if you watch a season of dimension 20, you'll learn a a lot of different things, Mm -hmm. but also play and preparation for that play. You know, as we said before, one of the like tenets of the show, planning is essential. Plans are worthless. Right. And I think that is very true. But also, you know, you, you were also worried that this battle was too easy. And while I think I agree, I think it could have been a little bit harder. At the end of the day, the goal of this battle was, hey, everybody test out your abilities. And also we kind of learn a little bit about Jolene. And both of those goals were accomplished. Everyone mm-hmm. kind of did their their signature ability thing, maybe with the exception of Naka, who, but who also explored some of his like race specifics, like the, the charge and the gore. He got thing. to do some fun stuff, uh, though he didn't necessarily get to use the homebrewed weapon that we made for him. Yeah, didn't necessarily explore the gun aspect or like yeah. the, the Hexblade Warlock type thing. But like Lauren got to like learn, like play a sneak attack. Kevin got to do barbarian rage stuff. I got to do, you know, spiritual weapon, cleric spell stuff. Mm-hmm. So I think in that sense, it was, was a success. There's actually a moment I want to talk about just before the battle that I think was the only time in the session that I, as a player, was disappointed. Oh, okay. Uh, or, I, or I was like excited for a moment and then that excitement got dashed. And it was when Naka said, hey, everybody, we're in the front train car. Why don't we decouple the train? Okay. Jolene was giving us so much shit. We ran into the front car. There was no one there. She was laughing at us. And then Naka said, hey, why don't we decouple the car and we can get there faster? In my head as a player, I was like, Oh, fuck yeah. We're going to decouple the car. She's going to have this, that shitting look on her face go away. It like makes sense within the world. We get ahead and then now we're ahead and she's got to chase us. And then you turned it around and said there was a train being pushed from the back so it wouldn't work. Yeah. I'm curious why you made that choice because it felt to me in the moment like a force, like you were trying to protect something that you had created. That's 100% it. Okay. So why... I mean, was that kind of the entirety of it? You knew you had this battle plan. Do you want to preserve that battle? Not just the battle of, of, I again, think I didn't feel confident enough to think on my feet of like, yeah, having this train fall apart. And now she and all of these other characters that I've planned, including Lauren, although we, you know, she would have like made the jump and like tried to come over. And we also could have had the bad guys try to jump over and maybe one or two of them like did and you fight them, whatever. Right. I think, yes, it was just me being like, oh my God, this is the great unknown. I have no idea how to do this. And also I think, uh, and I'm sure that this would have been okay and I would have done it fine. But um, every single one of the NPCs that I had planned for you were not on the train, was on the train in the cars behind you. Right. And I didn't want you guys to be alone in this train doing stuff because that's just like no fun. But I, don't like, know, though. I think I panicked a little bit in, in not feeling confident that I could come up with something that was good and fun on the fly. Sure. If you cut off 
a battle I'd planned, every NPC that I had planned. Sure. It, it felt like it was cutting all of my plans right. off at the knees. And I, yeah, I think I panicked and, and was like, I don't know how to recover. And I think if I'd given myself a minute or just with more experience or more planning, maybe uh, of like, I I could have, and it is a thing. Yes. That like, it would have been very fun. I also in talking about like giving people control could easily have now that I'm like rethinking it, let you guys all attempt to. And it's like this, this train is connected by like a steel link or connection that has, you know, 175 hit points. So like, yeah, you can try to chip away at this thing. Like I could have given you guys a little more authority or, or autonomy if that's the right word. And it could have given us like, you know, keeping with what was happening there, it could have given us another chance to fail in front of Jolene. Right. Or to succeed and get this like cool, like our, our first and only fuck you moment. We're actually not worthless. You know, we're we're actually pretty good at this. And so, yes, it is a thing that I feel like I should have. That is an instance, like talking about what we were talking before. Where I effectively just said, no, you can't do that. Right. And not in a fun way. Like there's definitely like, you know, in 20 side podcast, I have asked for batshit crazy things to happen. And you, even in those moments, you're like, there's no world in which I let that happen. But if you roll two nat 20s in a row, then you can do the impossible. Then you can do it. And I feel like this was an instance in which I flat out said, no, I gave you no opportunity realistically to do it. And it wasn't a crazy enough ask for you to feel like I know there's a solid chance you're going to say no to this. Right. If he had asked for something truly batshit and I kind of shut it down as a player, you're like, yes, I expected that. But this was like disappointing. So I feel that. Yeah. And this is unfair because it's very much like Monday morning quarterbacking. And it's, it's very different to talk about something that we've had a couple, even like, 30 seconds to think about that you had to make a decision in two seconds. Right. But I think allowing that to happen solves a couple of your problems because one, it a, it gives agency to the players. Right. It also like kind of affirms a trope of the world. Like decoupling the train car is a classic Western thing. I know it was such a fun idea. And, and I do really applaud Naka. He and Kevin are hilarious because I feel like they are both similarly of like, they're both ideas guys of like, how do I, Like what's my, this didn't work. What's my next move? Like constantly coming up with crazy sort of fun schemes. Right. How do do I, how do I push the the (laughs) limits of this painting that you've made? Right. Or like, how do I, I feel like neither of them ever do this. Like him saying, I'm going to throw the conductor out the window. It's like, what, how did you get there? And, and (laughs) I feel like it is a thing that, uh, I really, it's so much fun, both as a DM and as a player to have characters who do those big moves. Yeah. And so I do applaud them for, for doing those. And Naka, I feel like in particular, just had so many wild swings. <laughs> a lot of wild swings. The other thing that, that decoupling train would have allowed you. And again, this is very unfair because it's Monday morning, Monday, Monday yeah, morning, but, quarterback, like, but it is point. about like, yeah. but it, but it is about looking at these mistakes and saying like, here's what they could have solved. And here's, you know, right. And, and, you know, it's arguably a mistake, but I think we could choose to look at the other thing that would solve for you is you could have still had the battle, but now these two train cars are decoupling and moving apart. Mm, and now there's an, mm-hmm. cause like Lauren was still trapped on the train. So she would have had to like run and jump. 
but she'd have to try to like sneak through these people who are now pissed because they're not getting where they need to go. Hostile territory. Yeah. So like we're making ranged attacks to help her get across. She's got to jump. We've got to grab her. Now it's like that battle sounds like so much fun. It does. And, and there is a dynamic aspect to the battlefield that solves the, yeah. you know, the fencing problem of straight forward, straight back. Yeah. And it also kind of gives a goal that isn't just kill all the bad guys. It's get on the train and make sure the bad guys don't get on the train. Right. And if we do that, we get ahead of them. Damn it. Yeah. Hindsight's twenty twenty. Hindsight's twenty twenty. So it's, it's very unfair to, to Monday morning quarterback these things, but I think seeing where opportunities were missed and realizing why they're missed. And I think in this right. case, it was just you, everything you had planned was behind, <laughs> was on the wrong side of that coupling. Yes. 100%. Which is absolutely fair. Uh, right. And it's like, yeah, I totally could have, I feel decently confident that I could have come up with at least one or two NPCs for you guys to interact with on the train. But it was mm-hmm. a, we were headed into a battle that I was already nervous about and I just panicked and was like, there's no way in hell I'm letting you take away my security blanket. Right. And that's fine. And, and ultimately we ended like, it wasn't a big thing. It was just like, Oh, you can't do that. Oh, okay. We'll do something else. We'll do this other thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and we still had fun. And, you know, and one of the biggest points that I always want to take away from this show is if you're having fun, you're doing it right. Mm-hmm. And no one came out of any part of this game, not having fun. Mm-hmm. Like we, we ended a four hour session I think we'd plan to maybe do like three hours. Right. Very eager to do another session. So honestly, like in that sense, it's already a success and it's already fun. Cause like we're having fun. We're doing it right. <laughs> like, yeah. Like, did we mess up the rules for sneak attack once or twice? Probably. Doesn't matter. We all had fun. <laughs> did literally no one take movement? You bet. But that's okay. <laughs> but that's okay. We all had literally, fun. Literally, I think no one. Naka tried to move once, but it was going to provoke an opportunity attack. And so literally no one moved. If you took little figurines and tried to map it out, we would be in a mosh pit battle. But you know what? Oh no, all well, of us kind of did realize came and that. Went a little bit. She did. She, she stepped in and out once or twice. But yeah, it was. It is a very funny thing to me that I realized halfway through the battle. I was like, literally, all of us have forgotten that you can and should move in a battle. Right. <laughs> but it was again being like my first battle and having forgotten to kind of prep an area, I was totally okay with the fact that nobody was like, well, but like how long is a train car? Like how far can I go? And that like, right. I really was scared that someone was going to be like, I'm going to try to climb out the window and hang on the side of it. And I was like, I don't know where we're going to go with that, but if you do it, I guess we'll work it out. Honestly. It, and those are the areas where, you know, decoupling the train car, jumping out the window are the areas where this game gets the most fun because yeah. Because like you're really thinking on your feet. And, and I did see a lot of times where uh, you were, especially like right at the beginning when you got thrown <laughs> through a loop of, hey, we're not going to take the plot hook. It took so much effort to get you guys to even, yes, take the plot hook. I was like, look, I'm fine with us just kind of dicking around here all day. But like, also, don't you want to have a goal? And it took, I felt like I was hitting you guys over the head with a hammer that oh, yeah. said MacGuffin. I think realistically it was probably a little more subtle than that. <laughs> I, at the beginning, I kind of tried to help because honestly, it was, it was also like what my you character would do. Too. Like, I, I don't think it was like me trying to like backseat DM. I think it was like, oh no, this, my character would be it, interested in this. It felt legit. Uh, but I also appreciated your backseat DMing. If, but also, if but also, you want to call it back. At, at a certain point, I was like, 
all right, no one's taking the bait. I'm also going to put on my player hat and fuck around with this guy. Hey, let's see if we can get this information for free instead of for the, the measly one gold he was asking or whatever the hell he was asking. Right. I do love characters that aren't just like evil or, you know, aren't just like good or evil or whatever. But the Samuel character, the guy who's just like, please <laughs> just don't. tired. Don't fuck with her. Like, I, I know you guys can rob her. I know I don't want to have a fight. I'm just tired. Like, this is my, this is rough for me. Help me out. Was very fun. Cause like I not only like as a character, but as a player, I was like, you know what? Let's give this guy a break. Right. We could absolutely overrun him and steal this shit. Let's, let's help the brother out. Maybe he can be an ally later on. Right. Uh, but I thought he was very fun. Well, and I also rewarded you guys uh, with you were kind, nice to him. You were kind to him. He basically was like, guys, I'm so tired and my job is so hard. Please don't make it harder than it needs to be. And you guys honored that, which is why later when you were like, what can you tell us? Yes. I readily gave up that you're going to encounter a puzzle. Right. That I was like, this guy loves puzzles and I'm not going to give you any information about like what the puzzle is, because also I think character wise, like he's going to switch it up all the time. But because you guys had been kind to him, and like interacted with that character in a, in a way that like gave him what he needed and wanted. He was more than happy to give you guys what you needed and wanted. Right. In our first episode, one of the things we talked about was because it was introduced around this time in the story when we're on the train that Kevin's character Gord mm-hmm. had a weird character trait that he that Kevin wanted to play that he had pitched to you that you were worried about putting in the session, not because you didn't want to do it, but because you weren't sure you could like fully honor this character choice and give it like a real arc that mm-hmm. it deserved. Why don't you go ahead and tell us about what that character choice was now that we've uh, <laughs> listened to it yeah. and talk about how it worked out in the episode. So, uh, yeah. So Kevin texted me and said that he, uh, says that he has pitched this to you in the past, although you have no memory of it. I don't remember it. But you know, but he, I'm sure he's right, but I don't remember it. Right. But basically he was like, I want my character to be wearing a belt that is like sealed or, or clasped or fashioned. With a Gordian knot, which and, and what is a Gordian knot? So the, the like legend of a Gordian knot is is that it was this. I don't know it super well, but I believe it's an ancient Greek Roman tale. It's Alexander the Great. Basically, it's this knot that's insanely complicated. Nobody can figure out how to untie it or or what to do with it. And Alexander uh, just straight up cuts it in half. And it's I think more than anything supposed to be like. A uh, the moral of the story is is sometimes the simplest solution is the best one. Don't overthink it. Don't overcomplicate. You know, do this sort of stuff. But basically, it is not that can only be undone by like cutting it in half. So Kevin wanted to have this belt, and and so the bit with it is that he hasn't been able to take off his pants for like twelve years, and uh, I think that's hilarious. Yeah. I love it. I it also took me until playing the session to realize that his name Gord was Gordian not like I did not put two and two together until literally sitting down the morning of being like oh my god yeah it really worked on a lot of levels he was also the Minotaur so like Gord like G-O-R-E-D yeah yeah Uh, Uh, but his name is spelled G-O-R-D yes really so it was fun but it is great job yeah great job Kevin um but it is the kind of thing if I'm like look if we had a long campaign where we can go in and out of, you know, just kind of dicking around, doing all these other battles, these things. I guarantee there is a way for me to come up with some kind of story of like, you guys are all sitting around and like you roll, I randomly make someone roll high insight. And it's like, you realize that you've literally never seen Gord wear a different pair of pants. 
Mm. And it's like, you just introduce it as its own independent bit. Right. But I was worried in a one shot that I was like, I don't know how to a introduce this and make it a reveal and make it funny for you guys. Nor do I know how to like, not that I need to, but how to solve it kind of. And so I was worried about, I had a plan, which I ended up abandoning of how to kind of introduce this and uh, work around it a little bit, but it ended up going and working a lot better than I feared it might. I think the, my favorite part about this entire thing is that your puzzle with the Gordian knot was itself a Gordian knot. This was, (laughs) this is truly the most like ironic piece of meta analysis that I've ever gotten to do that you overcomplicated the problem when the correct solution was like your player, if your player has this thing they like, they're going to put it into action. And Kevin very much like did. I was going to say, I I should have known this um, because I'm sure there are players who are like, I have a secret and they want their DM to prompt them or give them an opportunity or to reveal it for them or to basically give them the cue of like, here's you're in now do it. And Kevin is not one of those people. And also I just feel like you don't, you like, I didn't need to take on all the responsibility of figuring out how to do this. And he pretty quickly, like, I think I made an initial comment about because he picked up Glasgow and his shirt is now covered in soot. And I was like, it's starting to look like your pants, which are like really grody and gross. And he, I saw like smirked and smiled of, of knowing you were like giving him a little setup. Yes. And, and even I think if I hadn't done it, he had a plan of how to build this into his character and how to make it important and how to reveal it to everybody. And so when he kind of took the reins and was doing that, I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. Like I should have a either worked closely with him in prepping for this and be like, so do you have ideas on like how you want this reveal? What sort of character traits does this build him? What's going on here? Or I should have, even if we hadn't talked about it, trusted a little more that like, this is a really big character trait for him. It's something that he's really excited about. Mm -hmm. He is 100% going to reveal it. Like he's going to be the driving force here. And that is a good trait of a good player. And and I, I know it's weird. Like even the concept of this, podcast is a little strange that we are talking about how to better play a game, like how to have more fun. Right. (laughs) Um, Which don't get me wrong. That's not lost on me. Like we're talking about like what you did right, what you did wrong. Like how are we, how can we have fun better? But there is something like to improve your ability to collaborate and to improve your ability to communicate does really make this game a lot more fun because you can see further down the road. You can better work with your your fellow players with your DM and you just like have more fun. You can get more immersed and being a good player is often about taking control of your character and not waiting to be prompted. And like, Mm -hmm. if I, if like for Kevin, if this was his, the fun bit that he wanted to do, the fun character trait, it has to be on the player to follow through with that. And, and he did like to his credit, he, he very much did. And I think that's not only is that a great quality of a player, but it's a great boon to any DM because Mm -hmm. then they can take a step back and know that they only need to worry about the world. They can let the players worry about themselves. Right. And then, and then it's also a little bit more fun for both sides because the DMs building this world, the players throw their stuff at it. Right. And now the DM can just focus on reacting to their stuff and often be more surprised and have real, more interesting reactions to the ways they decide to color outside the lines. Mm Mm-hmm. Rather than having to say, hey, here's your blue crayon for the blue space. Right. 
Well, it is the thing of, like I said, I had a whole plan of how I was going to help prompt slash introduce this. And then I also had, which we haven't gotten to yet, a sort of bit to circle around to Mm -hmm. that will be hopefully funny and fun. So had like an end point to it, even if we didn't get there up until that point in time, we were going to get there and it made sense and it was fine and had a thing in the beginning to kind of give Kevin a prompt and like do stuff and then abandoned it because I didn't actually think it was necessary. I saw pretty quickly. I was like, oh, Kevin, like this is, yeah, a thing he's excited about. He's excited to color with this or he's excited to play with this toy, like color these with this crayon. He's fine. I was like, I'm not going to force it. We're not going to do this because like this would have been a very funny bit but it was also kind of out of left field. And I was like, I don't think we need it because its sole purpose was to set up Kevin and he did not need it. And the other thing that was great about, you know, giving more props to the players was Lauren and Naka both separately had like thoughts in their head of why don't you just cut the the belt, which is great. And and I think that is a, it, it is a testament both to you as a DM and to all of our players as players that the world had been defined enough and the relationships between his characters had been defined enough that we'd all kind of come to the understanding that Gord was a, <laughs> we put him as the leader, but kind of in a patronizing way. Yeah. Like he, he wasn't, he wasn't the smart guy. He, we kind of had to help him along, but he was like kind of the, the mascot leader in a sense. wanted to let him feel like he's got the ball every now and then, because yes. naturally he's never going to have the ball. <laughs> yes. And that got nurtured like very early and then you kind of helped that draw out. So by the time we got to this beat for something that could have just been a very quick joke, like he can never take his pants off and then Lauren comes over and just like cuts the belt off, which would have been funny and there would have been a reward to that. Instead, everyone understood the world enough mm-hmm. and understood like the joke of Kevin's character and the joke of what this would be that we all thought the thing but didn't do the thing because our characters wouldn't do it. They'd want like him to figure it out or something. Yeah. You know, like you want to guide someone else towards the solution. It was so, so satisfying for me for both Kevin. I'm sorry, both Lauren and Naka came up with separate solutions. And I actively asked, do you keep this in your head or do you say this? And both of them chose to keep it to themselves. And it was just so much funnier. And so much more fun of, I was like, I will genuinely be disappointed if this bit is so short lived. Right. So it was, yes, a really great character, like props to them for seeing what like the more fun kind of opportunity there is. And like you said, had they chosen to go over and like cut it over or whatever, or like what he made, Still been fun. <laughs> like the butt lap. Similarly, like that's just funny. And, and yeah. It was a solution of a kind, but like it just it it fit and was funny. And and had they cut the belt entirely, it would have been fun. But this, I think, is the more fun move. Absolutely. Yeah. The 80s are over and you're not kids anymore. Now is a much darker time. Something happened to you and you got touched by the weird And it made you wild. And it made you powerful. This is the world of The Lost Bay, a suburban gothic RPG. A fever dream set in 1990X and inspired in equal parts by dark fantasy, horror classics, and the 90s indie culture. 
after years of development and thanks to the feedback and support of a community of early enthusiasts, The Lost Bay is coming to Kickstarter. Featuring a full rulebook and complete setting designed by Eco, kick-ass art by Evangeline Gallagher, killer maps by Strega Wolf Vandenberg, and six additional modules by some of the coolest designers in the indie scene. So go to thelostbayrpg.com to be notified on launch. That's thelostbayrpg.com. I think this type of move only happens if the players are fully immersed in the world and in their characters. I mean, this is like the real litmus test. Mm -hmm. Had you not immersed the characters, had you done, you know, quote unquote, a poor job DMing, Mm -hmm. we probably would have cut the belt and that would have been the joke and the joke would have ended there. But because we all understood the game of the scene, you know, to take, you know, a line from UCB improv training, we understood the game of what was happening. We understood who the characters were and what their motivations were. And we understood the world. Everyone knew to hold back in that moment, to still have the realization as a character, like we could just cut the knot, right? We could just cut the knot, right? Mm -hmm. But not do it because they know that this character hasn't figured it out yet. So I think that is a real positive litmus test of like, yes, players were immersed. Yes, characters were like fully realized Mm -hmm. in a way that is a testament to like, this was a session well DM'd. Thanks. Of course. One of the other uh, questions we had at the end of our first episode where we were talking about preparation was at the time, we didn't know whether we were going to be a couple of good guys who might have to do something bad or a couple of bad guys who might do something. We didn't know who our group was as a group. Mm -hmm. And we both agreed that, that the proper way to go about finding that is checking with your players. Like just ask, hey, what do you guys want to play? Can you walk us through what you did from that first episode to where we ended up landing as the deplorable four? What steps did you go through to help us arrive at that decision? Yeah, uh, I think (laughs) almost immediately after we stopped recording, I texted the group and said, are you guys like good guys who get called in when there's like a problem in town or are you guys bad guys who are on a wanted poster? And in my head, I was already well moving forward of you guys being good guys. And then, uh, but you gave us the choice of a wanted poster. I know it was that wanted poster that you guys wanted so much. And I want to say that Naka, uh, weighed in and yes, was like, what if we're like bad guys who have to do a good thing or good guys who have to do a bad thing or like wanted a little more complexity to it. And then Kevin and Lauren both weighed in being like, we think it would be more fun to play bad guys. Uh, and I'm trying, I think this idea spawned from our previous session or or like our first episode between you and me of this idea of like making the band, like the guys who haven't quite made it yet, mm-hmm. which in a way is, is easier for like the bad guys. And I, yeah, was like 100%, like we will, f- I'll figure out a way to kind of pivot the story that I'd already started building in my head to make it bit work better for like a band of bad guys it was just everybody saying that they wanted to kind of be bad guys. Yeah. Had we had talked about like the idea of arrival, doing these all sorts of things. And everyone I think similarly had kind of talked, they were a little on the fence or, or talking about characters who were a little more deep, a little more complex. And I think a fun way to do that is that you haven't fully gone over to the dark side yet. Mm -hmm. You are characters who like, yeah, you want to be rough and tumble guys, but like, 
maybe part of what's stopping you is you have a little bit of a moral code that's like, I can't do what needs to actually be done or whatever. But yeah, so it was a thing that I was glad that I checked in with everybody and and feel like in playing this sort of amateur bandit group, uh-huh. that you could tap into those ideas of like, we want to be a little bit of both. And it's like, yeah, you totally can be. Yeah, I think it was a thing that was very much helped by talking, texting with the group, and then also uh, you and I talking it out off of the podcast of just, yeah, talking it out basically of like, well, what if we did this or what if we did that kind of a thing? And then of course asking you guys like, we, I need a name for you. Also, I thought it was interesting and funny that like you guys were trying to come up with a name. You hadn't really quite hit on something. And then Kevin had suggested the deplorable four as a playoff of like the hateful eight, the right. magnificent six, you know, like whatever. And uh, then I added seven. Sure. Uh, <laughs> well, in that vein, I was like, it's funny because you guys aren't quite known yet. Took you guys as players and people a while to come up with something that you liked. Yeah. And so I made it a thing that didn't end up panning out necessarily in the way I wanted or it like didn't really work out uh, quite well. But I had had a plan where every time you guys met a new person, you somebody in the group would roll a D20. And if it was a uh, 10 or lower, they'd never heard of you. You just interact uh, like normal. Uh, but if it was a 11 or higher, they had heard of you, but would immediately call you by the wrong name. And I have an entire list of names that are very almost. Right. And so, yeah, it was just another way to kind of like make you guys not quite the baddest bad guys. Right. And I think that was very fun. And again, that's the thing I think is always fun, like giving your players a taste of what they want, but never giving them the thing and like making them have to work for it. Yeah. I think is a lot of fun. And I enjoyed it as a player a lot because I did want to like get our name out there. Yeah. And it's funny. It's funny how quickly things can change from prep to play. Mm-hmm. Because even as I was like prepping my character, I had planned him as like a war veteran who had, you know, super low charisma. He has six charisma. So he has a minus two to all his charisma checks. And he was going to be like, hey, I'm going to tag along with this group of bandits because they're going to get themselves killed and I want to like, you know, help heal them. Mm -hmm. And very quickly, like I, as I just started voicing the character, I was like, oh, that's not who this person is. This person Mm -hmm. is a fast talking, um, long winded guy who isn't going to talk anyone into anything, but will certainly try. I think there's something very funny about even for like the NPCs too of playing a character of you go in with an idea And there's a very weird internal gut thing that happens when you start talking or acting as a character who you also feel like you've built out, you created them. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, they have different motivations than I thought they did. And like they they make themselves apparent to you. Yeah. And it's a very weird thing because you're like, this is literally all in my own head. But like they, yes, where it's like I came up with this whole idea for a guy and then you're like, Actually, that's a not idea. That's not who he is. Uh, yeah, you it's a really, very funny, weird thing. You really don't know who an NPC or a villain or a player character will be until you start playing them. Because, like, you know, best laid plans, you have this whole thing planned out. The second those plans are put to the test, they fall over. And what is actually there reveals itself. Right. To mix, I think, three or four metaphors in one <laughs> sentence. Um, fit them all in there. Just, you know, shove those metaphors in. Yeah. Before we get into like how you prepped and, and the type of resources you used, are there, I guess, are there any questions you had as a DM that you 
wanted to put forward that, that you were curious about hearing from me as a player? I do have a thing that we can talk about later or we can come back to, or we can talk about it now of, of thinking of like a secondary sort of weak point was when we got to sneak scourge, mm-hmm. I felt a little meandering and I felt less on top of where you were going and what you were doing and what you were going to find. Sure. And wondered if you guys as players felt like you had too much sort of guidance or limit, not enough guidance. I did feel like, and I'm a little bit disappointed about it, but also feel like all of us are kind of there in the same boat at the very end when like Naka was making his way back after abandoning the cop and distracting and you guys were trying to figure out what was going on in the sheriff's place and everyone just kept rolling really low. Mm-hmm. And I didn't know, I felt lost in how to get you guys to a point that felt satisfying to end and also mm-hmm. didn't know how to get you guys to this stuff. And we just happened to luck out that you rolled an at 20 and Lauren was like, oh my God, finally. And I think it was much more of a finally of like, we're frustrated because we're in a dead end. But for me, it felt like a finally because I was drowning and didn't know where how to get myself where I needed to go in order to guide you guys where you needed to go. And it just was so lucky that you rolled a 20 of all things because I could give you all the information. Right. I felt that the last 40 minutes or so of our session, I was lost. And I don't know if you guys could tell. I couldn't tell you were lost because- you gave us enough guidance at the front. You were like, Hey, there's two saloons. One of them has like a big party going on, which is clearly like, Hey, you're going to find out a lot of stuff there. And then when we snuck upstairs and Lauren got the date book, Uh we knew kind of like the other areas we should check out. So we, we had enough open road to play with. We had this nice sandbox we could look at and you gave us some guidance. Like we were directed to certain areas, Mm -hmm. which was good. A thing that I have been trying to do better about recently, which is I think I used to fall into the same problem of asking people to roll and they'd roll really low, but I had to, there was information I had to give them, but it wouldn't honor the roll. It's yeah. It's like, how do you balance between, I mean, Laura rolled a nat one, so I wasn't going to give her anything, but then Kevin got a six and it's like, no, that's not really like, I'm not going to lead you to now that I'm thinking it's like, maybe he could have noticed that there's a door. And it's like, where does that door go? Of like, I'm not giving you any information realistically, but I am giving you a prompt where it's like, maybe that's interesting. And, 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 and I think a thing that I've been trying to do less is when I have to give people information, I won't make them roll for it. So like mm-hmm. if I'm planning on, I need someone to know this information, I'm not going to let the dice decide. They're just going to see it. Right. So for instance, like when Lauren went upstairs and like found all those books until recently would have done the same thing. I just said like roll investigation checks, see what you see now. However, I think I would have said you open up the book because ultimately like it's a date book. You're reading it like the, uh-huh. the, the check would be so low as to be covered by passive investigation kind of. Okay. Yeah. So it's like you open it up and you see these three things and then there's not a chance that this action will not be rewarded. Cause she mm-hmm. already passed like stealth checks to get up. Mm-hmm. She passed a sleight of hand check to get in. She passed an investigation check to find these interesting items. She should have just been given the information. Yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. And it helps you as a DM because now when we're looking for the thing, you're not getting roadblocked by like, we rolled a two and a three and a four. Yeah. Cause once you ask us to roll, like you kind of have to honor those roles. 
and there is a way you could backdoor it. You could have someone like investigate a thing, fall over a thing and like trip a thing, but then they find the thing. Right. It's like you roll it out once, so you trip over that box, but then tripping over that box happens to trip like a trap door. And then that leads you to look over there. And then all of a sudden you see the thing that you were looking for, even though you actually, right. you know, took three hit points doing it or like whatever. Yeah. You could definitely backdoor your way into some yeah. of those things, but the better solution is to, if you want to give players information, this is just, just thing. give it to them. Okay. Especially if they've already succeeded in some kind of check. Yeah. Okay. Um, Cause I do think, and, and I think this is probably my biggest takeaway for a thing you should watch as you go forward mm-hmm. is to honor the checks and honor the actions. And I think pretty early on, Lauren kind of put herself out as the character who was going to kind of sneak away and do their own thing and then like report back. And, and I think by the end, we really like locked into that. Like she, yeah. when she went upstairs, stole the thing, came back, we hadn't noticed she was gone. But in the train, when she was like staying back and listening, I know at some point she rolled like decently well to listen in on Lady Cece. Uh-huh. And, and you kind of like role played some of their conversations. So we knew that like it was Lady Cece and Sam. We knew their names and we knew kind of their relationship. But I think rewarding that character choice of she wants to be the character who stays behind, gathers information and kind of reports back would have been a, a boon to that character and a boon to you as a DM because then you can give her this information and she kind of reports back. Yeah, definitely. Mostly because that's what like the intention of her action was. I'm staying back. I'm not going to play. I'm not going to play with this toy because I want to play with this toy. Yeah. Yeah. And some of the times this toy, like the toy that she decided to play with ended up being less interesting. And I think you could have added some jewels and gems to it. Yes, I agree. And given her more stuff. Yeah. That being said, by the end, I think that did play out. Like when she got to go upstairs and investigate and then come back down. I think, and you know, maybe Lauren can correct me if I'm wrong, that was kind of the role that she was looking to play. It is a thing that once again, it's, it's that practice thing of like the next time we get together to like finish this up or if we played again or if we were building other things, it's like now I know and can much, I feel much more confident and comfortable in figuring out like what she wants. Mm-hmm. And like I, what the game of her character is. One thing that I wish that I had done more of before the session was, I guess like a little one-on-one combo with each person of like Mm -hmm. basically asking and like somehow like, you know, who knows how I would have gotten that information of like Lauren of like, what is, is, is Sarah's MO? Like, and maybe she would have been able to express like, she's gonna, she thinks these guys are idiots. She's going to take shit into her own hands. She's going to sneak around, try to find what she can and then come back and report it to them and like, let them think it was their discovery or whatever. Right. And I feel like if I had known that, and so it is a thing of like, we talked about this in the first one of, of doing more talking to your players, more getting to know who they are in their development and stuff Mm -hmm. more, I think would have been helpful. To be fair. I think you did in our character creation session, in our kind of like session zero, did a very good job of figuring out what everyone wanted and then following up when you were unclear. So like, are we good guys or bad guys? Hey, let's text our players and find out. I don't think there's ever anything wrong with asking your characters more because then you can get to the, the thing they want to do quicker by the end of our session. I think everyone's like the game of everyone's character was kind of figured out. You know, Kevin was the kind of dullard trying to figure things out, goofy pants pocket thing. I was trying to lead Kevin as my character, but I was also like this doddering. I talk too much. Mm -hmm. So we found the game of everyone's character. But the, the, especially in a one shot, the quicker you can find that game, 
then the more you can play with it. Yeah, it is absolutely a thing where I feel like if the goal is a one shot or like a short campaign, if you're going to play like three sessions or something that I think it would have been much more helpful for me to talk with everybody a little bit more, get a little more info in like what their individual wants and needs were, Mm -hmm. as opposed to just like general with you guys as a group. I do think that if we were going to make this into like an ongoing campaign, that it still would be helpful. Yeah. But it is the kind of thing now where it's like, okay, I didn't do it, but now I see where you're going with this and I can build things into this that will honor those and like give you little treats and give you, you know, the things that you want and need again with like, if you're planning for this to be like a one-off or a super short thing, it is a good thing for me to keep in mind. And because ultimately you are, you know, building as a DM, you're building toys or you're, you know, baking cookies for your players. And the more you know about what they like to play and what they want to play and, you know, all their allergies, you know, to continue mixing metaphors, (laughs) then you can better customize the game. And the more you can build the world to what your characters want. And I think you did a great job in this where we wanted to be bad guys in a Western who hadn't quite made it yet. And everything in the world affirmed that idea. Mm -hmm. No one knew who we were. The bad guy like took pity on us. Nothing kind of fell our way. We had to like run for the train, only got second class, you know, all this different stuff. Everything in the world affirmed what we wanted to do, which I think is a real boon to the players when you feel like you are integral and important in the world and that your decisions as a player affect the world because then you can get more invested, get more immersed and then really get to that like aspect of play and that aspect of pure imagination. That is what this game, you know, is really about. Yeah, I feel I feel like I decently confidently hit the big points and it's just that like nitty gritty of like the you guys got to play the big game and then it's like, well, you know, and next time and moving forward, like I can give each individual a little something as well. But in terms of like the overarching thing, I think I, I hit the things that you guys wanted. Absolutely. And I don't, I don't want to understress this. I think you nailed the things that we wanted. Mm -hmm. Everyone came in, had a lot of fun, you know, checkpoint right there. If you had fun, you played the game, right? Not only that, the world affirmed our decisions. We were integral to the world. Everyone was able to get immersed. Everyone got to do the things that they wanted to do. And there was a consistency in the world and a variety in the world that immersion was never really broken. Like there wasn't anything that came out of left field um, with maybe the exception of the, the, of the train, the engine. train, the yeah. train engine being yeah. in the back that did take me out, but that notwithstanding. And there was such a variety of, characters to interact with they were so clearly made uh-huh. that i was always in it as a player mm-hmm. i always saw who i was talking to i always understood the world i was in and i knew that i could everything i touched would react to my touch yeah which is really all you want as a player i mean every video game you'll ever play there's only so far you can go on the map there's only so many different buttons you can press in this game you can do anything you want and to know that each of those actions will have consequences and reactions is a very fun thing about this game. If, if a DM can facilitate that feeling, that means they are doing a good, if not exceptional job as a DM. Right, okay. Let's move on a little bit. I want to talk about your notes, how you prepared, like literally what you used and mm-hmm. what resources you found useful mm-hmm. uh, in prepping this. And, and even what you used while you were running the session. So like any books, apps, websites, blogs, 
any other like shows or things that you drew inspiration from? What did you find was most helpful in running this game? The things that I was most nervous about. And so the things that I really actively sought out um, sources to help me with it mm-hmm. was the battles was coming up with sort of those characters and, and how you fight with them and how you do this. So in, well, D and D beyond generally of like building the character sheets within mm-hmm. there so that all that information is available to me as well as the players. It makes it incredibly easy as well of like, if someone casts a spell and I don't know what it is, I literally just like click on it and it's there and, and it's, hugely helpful of, of having, and to have everybody do it in there. So you have everyone's at once instead of having like two people did it in here, but one person did it, you know, with a physical sheet and one person used a different source to do this. It was great. And then, and and the thing to say just for D and D beyond is while you can buy like premium accounts and stuff, you can use all of the features that you used for entirely for free. Yeah. And if like, if you didn't know the rules to D and D and wanted to find them, the like open game license version of D and D like essentially the basic rules are available online for free. So there is nothing money monetarily wise stopping anybody from starting, like learning the rules, building a character, building an encounter, building a campaign using these digital tools. They are readily available, very easy to use, very user friendly and have options. Should you want to, you know, add some additional complexity. They do have options like for you to buy some additional stuff if you want to, but you definitely don't need to. Yeah. It was a thing I will say uh, for second season of 20 side podcast was the first time that I really built a character sheet and like used this. And it was a thing where at first I was like, Oh my God, there's so much. And now I'm so it's so handy mm-hmm. and useful that everything is there and you don't even need physical dice. If you don't like, don't want to do that. So there's no start. If you don't there. already have a, a crippling dice addiction. <laughs> Like some of us do. Like some of us do. Yes. Yeah. Some of us. No, but so in D&D Beyond, it was really helpful to have everyone's character sheets there. And then within the session, I kept uh, specifically within the battle, kept going back in and looking at things. And then even just like having a a character, I kept Naka's open all the time Mm -hmm. just to scroll through. And like, especially as a new DM of reminding myself what different types of checks a person can make. Right. And what is it wisdom? Is it charisma? Is it strength? Like that sort of thing of like just having a sheet where it's like understanding what the player was looking at so that I could give them something in a way that like, like I'm describing to you what you're looking at and it makes it easier than me giving you just like random information and then you were searching. So that was super helpful. And then in the tools, there's the encounter builder. So playing around with different monsters and, and trying to build a battle that is uh, like what we had talked about of, of the math as we talked about it off the recording afterwards, because I was like, wait, but I do really want to understand the math of how you take your group and figure out what a good battle is. And you explained it to me and it is annoyingly complex. I, um. I, I will say, you know, for <laughs> to Wizards of the Coast credit, to the credit of fifth edition, this is the easiest way to build an encounter that has ever been like presented at, with some exceptions, I suppose. But it is a fairly easy way to build an encounter. It's just not perfect and it's not super intuitive. But that being said, using these encounter builders that are also a totally free resource online is very easy and intuitive. You basically just like plug in the number of characters you have, their levels, and then you start clicking on monsters to add and it'll tell you how you know difficult that encounter will be. Is that difficulty accurate? Yes and no. 
really you've got to just kind of learn by repetition and learn through experience, unfortunately, but it's a very good guide if you have no experience. Um, and even if you do have experience to give you kind of the baseline idea that you can then use your, you know, previous experience to kind of refine a little bit. Yeah. It was a thing that I felt incredible because yeah, the math, as you said, like it's entirely possible to sit and do it. Yeah. You know, it's not the most complicated math problem ever, no. um, but it is just kind of like annoyingly complex, especially if you are someone who doesn't necessarily know different types of monsters or how to do, you know, you're playing around with a bunch of different combos. And so that yeah. the encounter tool was super, super helpful in terms of, I would just like add in 13 like cultists and just see what that looks just, like. Yes. See what that looks like. And yeah. I'm like, how many guys can I pack into a train car and have you guys fight and have you actually come out on the other end? And a good way to learn anything is to like test the limits of it. Mm-hmm. So you go in, you put in four level four characters and you say like, okay, one cultist is super easy, but how many cultists do I have to add in until this meter, whether, you know, for however accurate it is, it's still a pretty good meter until it says like my encounter is broken and no longer works, <laughs> especially because if, if you're looking through something like the monster manual, there are, you know, it's, it's organized alphabetically. There are lots of monsters of various types all around. It's tough to find what you're looking for. Like even when we were looking for a harpy until we realized that's what it was, we were looking through stat blocks and like, there's a lot to read. Whereas if you go into something like D and D beyond and the encounter builder, you can start setting some restrictions, like only a challenge rating from here to here. I want them mm-hmm. to be a flying type. I want them to be in this, you know, they're this type of thing, this type of thing, this like type of thing. what size they are. Yeah, exactly. And start narrowing it down in a bit more of an intuitive way. For as much as I love the monster manual, it is something you kind of have to peruse a little bit more. Whereas this is a bit more of a targeted search. Yeah, it was, I, I have actually next to me, uh, four different D and D books. I'm, I'm actively used three of them so far and the the fourth one is just the player's handbook which i like to have there just as a reference of like if which, somebody uh, w- w- which ones did you use um i used uh the monster manual which uh i want to talk about more in a second um tasha's cauldron of everything and ghosts of salt marsh ghosts of salt marsh is where you got the jolene stat block which was with the stat block we're using as a harpy matriarch yes uh, what'd you get from tasha's uh the puzzle upcoming puzzle ah the pu- yes because at the end of tasha's they have some like puzzle options mm-hmm. very cool very cool and again i do want to stress if you want to play D, you absolutely don't need to grab all of these books there are free versions of a lot of the things online that are like le- not just like downloaded illegally they're like free open game license srd versions of the rules and of like the base rules monsters which will get you very much started you can download free character sheets everywhere i'll put links in the description you can get started playing today, but that being said, there are a lot, a lot of great resources, including a lot of the official books, a lot of the, you know, extensions on, you know, various websites. There are a lot of resources out there. So do check them out if you get deeper into this hobby, because they're a fun to read. Well, that's the thing is I feel like the books are super helpful. I think that they are in some ways organized clearly and and well for you to like understand especially the player's handbook i feel like is great absolutely yeah for understanding what you're looking at and what is important to look at and what is sort of nitty-gritty to look at and and just sort of how to even begin and they're all fascinating and like have a lot of interesting detail and stuff especially the other books uh so if you're gonna like sit and read through them and stuff that's great and i think they're a great resource i think especially because i was kind of short on time for prep for this 
being able to go online and use a resource where I could set boundaries, like literally set filters of going through. Exactly. uh, Where it was like, yes, flipping through the monster manual. So many cool things in there. Like loved this, loved that. uh, Was looking at like a night hag. And then you were like, that's like, she does not do what you think she does. (laughs) Like all this stuff. Right. Very cool monster. I don't think it's what you're looking for. It was not what I wanted. Uh, And so, yeah, it was really nice, especially being brand new. So having not really looked through these books that much and being short on time of like, I need to know the things I need to know. And I will look at all of this pretty extra stuff later. Absolutely. So in terms of resources, I feel like it was honestly D and D beyond more than anything else. Um, and also just like randomly, like I, I could go back through and look at what like the different websites were because there were a couple, but it was things like Googling how to sneak attack work in D and D. 5e and then going to like a a different website that was like a resource that just like gives all this info for free and like doing random googles of like what is what does a harpy look like of you know wanting to look a picture so that i could paint a picture of what she looks like when i describe her to you and so the books were great dd beyond just randomly googling the small pieces of information was helpful and then one of the things that i felt was the most useful that unfortunately not everyone may have available to them was talking it out IRL. Having yeah. you as an experienced player or even just as someone who has played D&D, not just DM'd, mm-hmm. it is, I do really, really well and think there is a huge bonus in saying, I have this idea, what do you think? And in this case, it was funny because there are some things that I wanted to surprise you with as a player like for instance, in, a, in, in the first season of 20 side podcast, I was not a player. I was not involved other than like being a cheerleader and, and a listener and loving it. Right. So we could talk through every detail about it where it's like talking to your players is fantastic. Finding out what they want is fantastic. Yeah. Having a outside third party who has played or is better yet DM'd and knows kind of the ins and outs of things to bounce ideas off of was so invaluable. Yeah. I, I do think, you did have a, I mean, not to like toot my own horn, you did have a good resource <laughs> in me in that I had done so many of these things so many times before yeah. I knew I could point you towards the best resource. And that's really what I'm trying to do with this podcast is give people the benefit of, give people the benefit of a person who's done it before if they don't necessarily have that sounding board. But even if you don't have someone who has played the game before, even if they don't understand the mechanics or don't really even understand the game, just talking through the cool things you're trying with someone else is so valuable. And and I really recommend it to anybody, regardless of what you're doing, because when you're in your head, writing stuff down and planning stuff, you can sometimes get lost in like little nitty gritty things. Like I I know at one point you were planning a bunch of like other nicknames for the deplorable four. Oh yeah. yeah. But I also knew that you hadn't necessarily like planned out the full battle yet. And I was like, maybe. (laughs) Oh yeah. Maybe do the The big things I did first were, decently inconsequential and the things that I saved for last were the things that I was most nervous about least experienced about and 100% needed to put the most effort into but honestly (laughs) there's something that's not necessarily bad about that because you leaned into the things you were good about those are the things that I remember like I very much remember the very vibrant characters and like the fun accents and like all the world building stuff and all of the social interactions were incredibly fun because a that was your strong suit so you leaned into it and the battles where you felt you were weaker, you put enough effort in where they didn't fall flat. Were they a lower tier than your social interactions? Yes. 
but that's because you have so much more experience with, with your social interactions. And also I think you're more interested in them as a player. Mm-hmm. So that's just where you put your time, which isn't a bad thing. It's just a difference in DM styles. There might be some people who love planning crazy, intricate battles, mm-hmm. but don't care as much about social interactions. And so their social interactions will fall flat or fall flatter than their very vibrant battles. And it's just, you know, slowly increasing the level of the thing that you are weaker in or less confident in until it becomes the same or equivalent. But that mm-hmm. doesn't mean totally forsake the thing that you love. If you love something, play with that toy. Mm-hmm. Man, I love this toy metaphor. <laughs> I think that's what it is. Because really this, not since your kid, like when you're children, you have that sense of pure play. Yeah. Of like just going out with your friends, playing in the backyard and like, you fought, like even if you don't have toys or if you don't have a video game or if you don't have, you know, any kind of ball or thing, you find a game to make you. It's just pure play. Yeah. And I think there's no faster way to become friends with someone and to like understand who someone is than to exist in a space of like pure imagination and play. Like, I mean, for instance, Kevin and Lauren met Naka once when they did our. Like our sessions, your our character sessions building zero, our, our sort of character thing. Building. Yeah. But listening to this episode, I don't think you would necessarily know that. Like, they, no, you wouldn't know that they're basically strangers. Yeah, I mean, we talk for sure. They, this is the most time they've spent with Naka by twofold. Yeah. Oh, Oh, one hundred percent. Yeah. And and same Naka to them, but because we existed in this place of like play and vulnerability, which is kind of what you know this imagination space is, is being a bit vulnerable, being open to being silly with people. An aspect of trust and friendship builds very quickly. So as much as I, as much as this game is very fun and the concept of like improving your game is a little bit goofy, I think it does mean a lot because it's one of the purest ways you can like really make cool friends and like nurture these things. And it's also a space that if done poorly can really hinder those things. Mm-hmm. Like if, if you invite someone into a space to be vulnerable and aren't properly like prepared for that, it can be a point of friction and and an unpleasant experience whereas if you do a good job it can be this very freeing liberating fun bonding experience you know not to put too much weight on what is a game and a silly imagination filled thing but it is yeah and but it, it is, is a thing where i feel like as a dm as well and especially knowing that like naka is is one of my best friends from high school and uh kevin and lauren have become incredible friends over the past like year and a half two years I remember when we first started playing our home game, it was with a group of people who I had met everybody like maybe once or something. And I was really nervous. It was a brand new game. I'd never Mm -hmm. played. I know it has a lot to do with role playing, which is like not a thing that like that. Like a lot of these people were people who did comedy and perform. And like, while I were in adjacent spaces. Yeah. Like we've talked about this numerous times. Well, I love doing weird shit at home. I don't ever actually perform. Right. And so I was really nervous and it was, it was really nice to me knowing that like you as the DM, like I knew you were on my side, you were there, you were there to like hold my hand and get myself started as I sort of got into it. And like a kid, yes, it's like, you're going to be fine. Like I'm holding the back of your bike as you take off the training wheels and everything. And so knowing that I was bringing in, um, like two different kind of sets of friends who did not know each other. And, and Naka had mentioned that he was super, super excited and jazzed to play, but hadn't played, hadn't actually played D&D that much before this. I wanted to make sure that it was something where you strike that balance between letting people, like you're holding the back of the bike when the training wheels are off so they don't fall flat on their ass, mm-hmm. 
but you're letting them pedal and go. And like, it's that, you know, hands on, hands off kind of a a thing and wanting to make sure that it was an environment that yeah, like people felt safe in and nurtured. And like, if I can see you guys are kind of like, I don't know what to do with my hands. It's like, look over here. There's something, you know, going on and you can kind of divert your attention and focus on a thing. And that is another true thing that another thing that you did very well is that there were very, very few moments where there was a pause that, cause it, cause in every game, there's always like a scene kind of ends mm-hmm. and the next scene has to be initiated. And sometimes no one wants to initiate that scene or no one has an idea of what that scene is. I think there were only a few moments where there was like a small pause where we were kind of, everyone was waiting for everyone else to go. And you very quickly jumped in to fill those gaps and kind of pulled one of the players into like, Hey, this thing happens near Chevelle to allow him to then like, now he has something to interact with when a scene kind of plays itself out. It was a thing that I feel like I do this in other instances too, of, of wanting to, yes, allow everybody like the opportunity to jump in. And a thing that I feel like I very actively in this was like, wait one beat longer Mm -hmm. than you feel like you should just because somebody else might be waiting to be polite. Right. Especially over because we were playing over Zoom. It is a little easier to play in person because that that lag aspect of expecting like an Internet connection to be slow doesn't exist in real life. But it was a thing yeah, where it's like you wait that half beat longer than you feel like is OK mm-hmm. before jumping in and offering something because I don't want to step on anybody's toes. But also, yes, don't want it to be that we're all sitting there and someone's like, oh, this is awkward. Right. Exactly. Uh, yeah. And I think you avoided that, which is great. Thank you. Every episode of Cannon Fodder, we always have our current guests ask a question for our future guest. And we did a version of that here. We had you ask a question for yourself mm-hmm. after you had finished the session. And this is what you asked. What's something that maybe didn't go according to plan, but you're happy with the way it pivoted or the way it worked out? Or a way, you know, what's something that went sideways and, and how did you handle it and bring it back? That's an excellent question, Abby. Thank you for asking. Uh, <laughs> uh, there are a whole bunch of things that went sideways. So many things that went off the rails that you guys did that I didn't expect you to do that, that uh, just got wild. I think as much as I felt like once you guys got to sneak scourge, I did feel like I was floundering and I was like, crap, I should have prepared a little better or like I'm nervous. Or it was also a thing where at that point we had realized that we were playing for way longer than we expected to. And we're like, do you guys want to just play until the end? Do you want to cut this off now? And we had kind of like an end and I wanted to get us to a point that was satisfying rather than just saying like the time is up, you know, we're doing a thing. Right. And uh, so I was feeling self-conscious about the fact that it had been going on too long. I felt like I wasn't fully prepared for this end of the world uh, and, and this town and what was going on there and feel like for as much as I was feeling nervous and unsure and as if floundering really a little bit, I think that in taking cues from the players of like, like Lauren wanting to go up and explore that room and like ditch everybody else and do stuff. I feel like I was like, okay, like I'm going to effectively, it's like the, the like lead and follow of that ebb and flow of going back and forth. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I'm the DM, but like, I'm not the person who's fully in control of everything that is going on here and right. letting her kind of say, I want to go up and go and do this. And I was like, okay, so like, cool. You've got a couple of seconds. <laughs> well, 
she is creeping up the stairs and you know kind of where she's headed. And it's like, what do we think maybe she's going to find in there? And I am um, proud of the fact that at no point did I truly feel lost, dead in the water, totally lost at sea to just continue with with the sea metaphors. But it was a thing where I kept feeling like I was half a step ahead of you guys. But I'm proud that I feel like I did manage to stay that step ahead. And that I felt like the things, the choices that I made, thinking back on them now, I'm like, oh, it should have been this or it should have been that or this actually kind of is dumb or makes no sense in the world. But I don't think any of the choices I made were that horrible. Like none of them were too insane. None of them were too boring. It was like, sure, this is, was not the most exciting choice you could have made, but it like worked. Right. And I will say, you know, you will never be more than about half a step ahead of your players. <laughs> Every now and then you get a full step ahead and that's when you get to hit him with something big. Yeah. Usually it's about a half step. Yeah. And the trick is just making sure they don't necessarily know it. Cause I, I'm guessing like, you know, when we were entering the world and correct me if I'm wrong, you probably didn't know that there was a saloon and on the third floor was Mazden's place. Oh no, I made that up on the spot. Exactly. Yeah. But like at no point did I ever think that that wasn't already part of the world. Yeah. And that's how quickly you are laying the track in front of you. Right. Cause I know this is a saloon. I don't, I've got a vague picture of it. You paint a little more picture. We explore a little more. We kind of look at those edges. You start filling in those edges. And by the time we've figured out what the full picture is, you've had enough time to hurriedly paint it all mm -hmm. as if it was always there. We just hadn't explored it all. We hadn't looked at it all. Yeah. To follow along with this idea of asking questions for future people. I hope to do this, this series again with another DM and, and keep doing it do these kind of three episode miniseries every now and then. Now that you are officially a dungeon <laughs> master, you are, you can officially put on your resume and experience DM. <laughs> what is a piece of advice you would give to the next first timer who comes on this podcast or to just any first time DM? The two things that I think I would say would be most helpful or that the two things I would think would be most important to impart on another person mm -hmm. are if possible, find a person or a chat board or something where you can talk it out with experienced at the very least players, if not other DMS, because yes, even if it's like, I want to try this, but I'm worried about it. And having the other person be like, nah, I think that's cool. I like it. And giving you no know other feedback at the very least, it's like a confidence boost of like, okay, so I'm, I don't know what I'm doing, but I know a little bit what I'm doing. Right. So having some kind of resource there. And again, like if it means going and finding like a Reddit thread and being active on it and that's your best resource, then like do that. That's great. Right. And then the second thing I think is prep is going to take a little longer than you think. Even if you are like, I've played a ton. I watch a ton of Dimension 20. I listen to Rude Tales of Magic. I've listened to Critical Role. I know things. I wish I'd put in a lot more time preparing my weak points or at least studying up on them and thinking about them maybe a little bit more. How much, how much time total do you think you put in, in prepping? Like, like actually sitting down and doing kind of like active prep, not just kind of thinking about it in the background. It's funny because I was doing a ton the night before and you get lost in it when you get excited about it. Mm -hmm. And so I think realistically, like I put a couple hours in. Right. I don't know, maybe three or four. Sure. I wish I'd set aside a fifth hour to devote specifically to battle mechanics or even thinking about like, oh, 
you should build out that train set a little bit more so that you can build over things or climb over things or interact in that sort of way. And so I think a piece of advice I would give is that whatever you are most nervous about or feel weakest about, plan that extra hour and also like practice it. Like I do weird voices in the shower. I wrote out, I do this at work too. When I write things like articles, I wrote out like an intro to the world. I wrote out little things that like I planned to effectively read word for word Mm -hmm. slash at least use as a general guide. And I literally sat and read them out loud before the session. Yeah, totally. And to get the cadence. Yeah. And I think that it's, it's those things that you're nervous for and those things that you're like, I'm a little wary. Literally the worst thing that, that could happen is like, yeah, you spent an extra hour doing that, that prep. Right. And like, maybe you didn't learn anything new or like, maybe you wrote it out and you read it and you're like, yeah, that's good. I've got it. But it cannot hurt. And it is a thing where like, I didn't do it and I wish that I had. And I will say, you know, that say it's four hours or five hours. That number is really for like your first time. That number will go down very quickly because a lot of that time was used sorting through the monster manual, learning some of these tools and how they function. Once you get those kind of like hard skills in, your prep time goes down pretty precipitously. If you're doing this like roughly the same amount of prep. It is also a thing I will say like the things that took the most amount of time were looking through like monster manual, trying mm-hmm. to figure out the battle of like who they're what, literally what they're fighting, not just like who in terms of personality or like your backstory there of like literally what are the mechanics of this villain, <laughs> right? figuring that out. And then also at the very beginning, building a loose outline slash structure to the world. Once I had the idea where it was like, we're going to start in one town, we're going to get on a train slash if you guys hadn't made the train, you were going to take like a path to get somewhere you're going to end up in this other town. It was like, I had those things and then I could start fleshing it and filling it in. And also knowing it was a Western, I was like, well, easy. We have a saloon easy. We have this, you know, like you can fill those things in. So the things that take the most amount of time are literally choosing and going through and learning the mechanics of who you're fighting. If you're doing a battle. Right. And planning the big things of the world. Once you have the big things, you can fill in all the little details and all of the funny little names and characters you meet. And what does it look like? And what does it feel like? And what does it smell like and sound like? And all that stuff. And a lot of that will come from your players. Like yeah. you'll, you'll see the areas where they're going and you just follow them. Yeah. You just yes. And whatever they want to say and kind of keep going, keep moving along, like kind of in their jet stream a little bit and just throwing bits of track ahead of them. <laughs> One more thing for the next DM and for other first timers. Yeah. What is a piece of encouragement that you would have liked to hear or that you would like to give a first time DM? One piece of advice that I'd like to give, although I do think that it is with a little bit of a caveat, is to not be afraid to take a beat and like, like on the train. If I'd stopped for a second or like if once I realized that this battle was you guys were going to womp them immediately. If I'd stopped, I don't know if I would have, but it's possible that I would have been like, okay, they don't have enough guys or these guys aren't tough enough. You can add more. Even if you want to try to set up a situation where it's like, if, I, if you guys were standing outside the saloon and I just let you continue chit-chatting about like your plan or your idea or whatever, and like kind of doing a half listen, while I 
think on and plan on something that I wasn't necessarily worried or hadn't necessarily figured out. And I feel like it is a thing as well of, I was nervous about trying to keep the pace going, not hitting dead air, not feeling like we've hit a lull. But as a player, I feel like there have absolutely been moments where you took a moment to go do something Mm -hmm. and what might've felt like an eternity to like you or something. I'm having fun and having a good time. I'm totally fine with you guys, you taking 30 seconds because the other thing is like, realistically, you're not like, let me go leave for 10 minutes and go do a thing. It's like, let me have 20 seconds to myself to think about a thing. Right. And as hard as that is to like feel in the moment and, and in the moment you're like, oh my God, everyone's silent. It's like, nah, you're okay. And also like those like 30 second breaks where you kind of like break immersion because you want to look up a rule or you want to like kind of think a thing through or, you know, study your monster that you're looking at that you didn't like fully prepare for. Your players are going to use, especially if they're friends or if they're friends of yours, A, they're not going to care. And B, they're going to use that time to like say, hey, Jack, how's your kid? Hey, Paul, how's your sister? Hey, Jay, you know, there's going to be a bit of just talk at the table that it's going to happen eventually. It might as well happen when people aren't immersed in the game. Mm -hmm. So there is a there is always a good thing to be said about having those lull points a little bit or like having, you know, a break in the middle so that people can kind of rest their heads from being in this world. Mm -hmm. And if you like have to take 30 seconds or a minute to look up a rule or read a monster stat block, just let people know like, hey, you know what, guys, give me 30 seconds. I'm going to read this. You talk amongst yourselves or tell them plan out what you're going to do next. And you're going to, while you're reading the stat block, you can just be listening and hearing their plans and prepping how that's going to interact with whatever the hell you're reading. Right. Right. I feel like it could even be, yes, the thing of like, like in that battle, if I'd been like, uh, you know what? I actually need a second. I forgot to do something. Kevin, why don't you give us a little more detail about your encounter with the wizard that ended you up with this belt or whatever? Mm -hmm. Cause then it's also like, it's out of the game because it's no longer within like the, the immediate storyline, but it is right. game adjacent of, and like giving people a thing to be like, why don't you talk a little more about this? Before we get out of here, I got three questions for you. They're mm-hmm. just super quick. One, now that we've talked, how do you feel about your first time DMing? Honestly, a little bit the same as at the beginning of this, but it's becoming easier for me to be like, nah, girl, you did a good job. And just because these other things did not work out as well as I would have hoped next time I know now, like it's, it's cool. I'm going to, I'm going to get there. And like, so overall, I do think that this was good and fun. And so it was a success. And I think you kind of answered my second question. Are you planning on DMing again? I would like to, I mean, at the very least we have to wrap this one up. And then after that, like if I can find willing people, I feel like I would have fun doing it again. I so badly want to fight Joe Liam (laughs) so badly. And the third question is really, you know, the point of this whole podcast, we say, if you had fun, you did it right. So Abby, tell me, did you have fun? I had fun. Yeah. Guess what? That means you did it right. (laughs) And ladies and gentlemen, that is all for this first mini season of My First Dungeon. Uh, special thanks to Abby Hepworth, our first time dungeon master, now an experienced dungeon master. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. And special thanks to Naka, Kevin, and Lauren for being our players. Be on the lookout. Uh, sometime in the near future, we will finally finish this adventure. We'll post it on the feed and you guys can see how this adventure played out. 
and keep an eye out for future seasons of this. I'm hoping to do a few more of these in the near future because I really like this idea of playing around with new DMs. It's a lot of fun to kind of see how the sausage is made. <laughs> Not only do I think it'll be helpful, this is the kind of thing that I wish I had heard when I first started DMing. Yeah. And honestly, as an experienced DM, it's helpful for me to see how new people are learning. Also, check out our show notes. In our show notes, you'll see links to all of the resources that Abby used, all of the resources I talked about, a few other additional ones that I think might be beneficial, as well as Abby's raw session notes. So you can see exactly what she used to plan her session. So thank you so much for listening. I hope this has answered some of your questions, quelled some of your doubts, and demystified this process just a little bit. And I hope you've had fun along the way. Because remember, if you have fun, you're doing it right. And that means we've done this podcast right. <laughs> and that means it is time for us to go. So thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye. 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 <laughs> hey, everybody. This is Abby. If you enjoyed this episode of My First Dungeon, you might want to check out some of our other shows in the Fractured Realms. For instance, our D&D actual play anthology show, The 20-Sided Podcast. This season is called Prisoners of the Static, and I play Natasha Bolshekot, captain of the Gilded Ghost. Interested? Check out the trailer and tune in every Monday for brand new episodes. Bye-bye! The Static. A mysterious, mist-covered scar left behind by the Titans. Nothing that has entered that expanse of fog has ever been seen again. Until now, that is. A message in a bottle containing two things. The first, a plea for help from the legendary weaponsmith to the gods. The second, a warning. Here... There be monsters. In season two of the 20-sided podcast, three brand new players will descend into the unknown, shackled by their secrets and fears, and venture past the ominous white expanse to learn, only too late, that they are about to become prisoners of the static. Be seeing you. If you're hearing this, that means you listen to every last second of this episode. If you're not caught up yet, that's great because then there's plenty more to listen to. But if you are caught up and you simply can't wait for the next episode, then you should head on over to patreon.com slash myfirstdungeonpod and become a member of the Dice Pool. For just a few bucks a month, you'll get cast talkbacks, original games, and a full-length bonus actual play each and every month. As of the end of 2023, there is already over 20 hours of bonus audio, plus a whole bunch of other goodies to enjoy. So head on over to patreon.com slash myfirstdungeonpod and jump into the dice pool. We'll see you there.